0: Today's guest is a good friend and fellow Bernina ambassador, and so humble and hilarious that he would only allow me to interview him if he was allowed to question me right back. This could be interesting. I don't know what's going to happen. The tables are turned today on the Quilter on Fire podcast with special guest, quilter, teacher, and designer, Paul Leger. welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore the stories, the connections, and the joy of guests in the quilting world. I'm your host, Brandy Mislowski, the quilter on fire. And I'm not sure if I should have agreed to this, but I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. My guest today is Paul Leger. He is known among his quilting peers as the hilarious, loving friend and quilter who puts his head down and does the work. With close to 300 quilts under his belt, you can be sure he has a passion for all things quilting. He loves to explore traditional quilting techniques and design quilts and patterns with a modern touch. And I can't let this little intro slip by without mentioning his passion for quilts of valor. His pattern, True North, Strong and Free, is a bestseller at the Quilts of Valor booth every year, and he hosts an annual Quilts of Valor Sewing Day event. So let's explore the story of Paul Leger. Paul, welcome to the show.
1: Hi Brandy, thank you so much for having me on today.
0: This is going to be so fun. I love to start by taking a look back at where you got started, but we're doing something interesting today. So what was your idea that you wanted to do today when we got started with the podcast?
1: My idea was to basically, for every question you ask, I get to ask a question back. I'll see what I can come up with.
0: Okay, well, this will be fun. Okay, so let's start by taking a look back at where you got started. So when do you first remember putting stitch to fabric?
1: The first time I put stitch to fabric, non-quilting, was actually in late 89 or early 1990, when I was stationed uh, in Victoria, British Columbia. I was uh, in the Armed Forces. I did a pair of drapes for the kitchen and basically they look more like parallelograms than, than the rectangular patterns. But anyway, a few months later, I just ruined a couple of brand new Air Force shirts. So mom being a dressmaker and seamstress, before any shirt or clothing is thrown away, you take the buttons off and you put that in the button jar and then you can convert the piece of clothing to a rag or to the garbage. Well. In this case, that's exactly what I did is I took the buttons off and for whatever reason, I decided to just put the shirts back in the corner. The next day it occurred to me that there's a lot of usable fabric on a shirt. And these shirts are basically brand new. I don't them them maybe once or twice. I just couldn't wear it because I'd stained them or ripped them. So I actually cannibalized all the shirts. And a couple of days later, I remembered that they used to make quilts. With all clothing, so I cannibalized a whole bunch of other shirts that I was going to that I was going to donate to some charity, and that was in May 1990. My first quilt.
0: Wow, that's actually really cool because it gives you all those memories of all the joy that you had on the job and the things that you did and the places you saw. Every time you see the different fabrics, so do you have a question for me now?
1: And how did you begin?
0: I have a couple early memories of my first stitches. I know for sure that I was at a flea market and I was milling around a table, 11 or 12 years old, loving this woman who had these Cabbage Patch Kid clothing. And I went every Sunday and eventually she had me sitting beside her stitching. So I remember those early stitches of trying to make something for my Cabbage Patch Kid. But I also remember, you know, memories of sitting with my sister, playing with Barbies and... I remember stitching clothing onto a Barbie doll and stitching it completely so that I could never get it off again. She's like, you need a closure, you need some Velcro or something, or you'll never get it off. I was just stitching the clothing right on, so they had to wear it forever. So those are my earliest memories. So were there certain people that had a creative impact on you as a youth?
1: Impact? I don't think so. At least not that I can think of, but maybe in the back of my mind, it did plant a seed because my godmother was an artist-painter. Another aunt, her sister, my tante, she was also a painter artist. And and she was all all over the map abstract, portrait, landscape. She was all over. My mother, like I said a few minutes ago, she was a, a seamstress, dressmaker. Her studio was my bedroom. Yeah. Socioeconomics was during the day and some evenings. She needed it for work on Saturday evening and Sundays for sure was my room. Uh, but we had sugar. And it, it's funny, it never never bothered me. And um, grandma was a quilter. She was a quilter. But I don't think any of that is what got me to quilting. I just think it was a chance that that one evening they used to make quilts, so let's give it a try.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, when you started, did you start with patterns or did you just go hog wild and what you thought was how we're supposed to do it?
0: Oh, that's a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question before. And I have never been a fatter. I have never been fatter. That's a bad, a bad blooper. No, I have. I've never been a pattern follower. I've never bought patterns. A few patterns have been given to me and I've thrown together some kits Mm -hmm. for fun, but I've always, always dove into the fabric and designed my own thing right from the very beginning. My very first quilt was a quilt for a friend who wanted me to make a a quilt for her great-grandmother. I had never made a quilt before. She kind of said, you're kind of crafty. Do you want to make a quilt for my great-grandmother? And I said, yes, not having any clue how difficult it would be. And she wanted me to use photos in the quilt and lace in the quilt and only floral fabrics. And it was just, it was really hard to put together and I'd never done a binding or anything. So, but yeah, to answer the question though, I've always just done my own thing. Never really followed patterns. So let's get into your quilting journey and how your quilting blossomed from there. So you started with a shirt quilt from your armed forces uniforms. And where did you go from there?
1: That first quilt was something I designed myself and that did not, I mean, it was not the finished size it was supposed to be. I couldn't figure it out. My templates were correct, and I remeasured and measured and measured. But anyway, I couldn't figure it out. But I I did like the process, so I designed another one. It was basically a 3D cube, which it was a long cube, not even thinking of a cube cube. So I designed that just for, again, I could see these images, but the joys of being a brand new quilter, brand new sewist you don't learn the rules and regulations. yeah. So I just went at it and enjoyed the process. And a few months later, I was visiting a friend in Seattle, and we were driving around, and I saw a quilt store. And I said, can we stop because I need patterns or I need books or something. And, and there was nothing in there. It was just magazine, a couple of magazines, a couple of books, but not what I need for my level. And anyway, a couple of months later, I got a surprise package in the mail. It was a book with... A whole bunch of patterns and a whole bunch of templates in the back for every pattern. Oh. And for a couple of years, that's all I did was quilts out of that one book until uh, I took my first class in 94.
0: That's a really great learning process to just dive in and do the work.
1: Yeah, it, it is. It really is. And so on the same line, now that you've your skills have advanced and increased and all that, are you 100% cotton or will you use any fabric to get the result that you want?
0: Oh that's a good question. So as a textile artist I use tons of different types of fabrics but when I dive into modern quilting which I also love nowadays I do use 100% quilting cottons but yeah high quality fabric for sure. Okay so I want to talk a little bit more about how your quilting blossomed and how you grew and changed with your style over time. So you started off you know, with the military uniform type of quilt, and then you moved into quilting patterns and doing that kind of thing. So how did your style grow and change over time? Have you always been traditional?
1: No, no, I started with traditional because when I started, that's basically all there was. That in applique, and I'm sorry, but I love applique work. It's beautiful to look at. I admire people that do it, but I don't do applique, <laughs> <laughs> unless I can do it by machine. I think my, my style has grown and changed where it was more traditional. And because of the first class I took with Joan Winter in Barrie, Ontario, back in uh, September, 1994, which she gave me all the basics. From there, although I was still doing patterns from books or buying a pattern, it gave me the skills that I needed to start. How can I rejig this pattern? How can, I, not to copy it, but to make it a bit bigger, make it a bit smaller, make it wonky instead of, and it's progressed From there, so one day I'm going right, the next day I'm going left. When the modern quilt movement started with the solid fabrics, because I've always been a fan of solid fabrics, for me it was like, yes, I've arrived. I'm still a fan of the early modern movement look, with the solids, the negative space, little to no prints. I'm still more there. Modern quilting is going somewhere where I'm not sure where it's going. I know what I like. And on the same token, I saw somebody the other day use the word contemporary. And the way it was phrased is, it's not modern, it's not traditional, but it has a a new look to it, but not necessarily to either extreme. So, I think in some ways I might see myself maybe going that way, but I have no idea where that way is going to lead me.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have to do what's your joy, right? So I, like, I'm always encouraging people to do what they love the most. So whether it's a technique or a fabric or a style, if you love it, go there. And if you don't know how to do it, go find a person who does know how to do it really well and try to learn from them.
1: What about you, Brandy? How did your quilting style change over the years? Because I'm sure from day one to today, your style is not the same.
0: Yeah. I think I dove into fabric early on. So the fabric really inspired me. I worked in a craft store. And when I made that very first quilt for my friend's great grandmother, I was cutting fabric in a craft store as part of my job. So I was finally able to start collecting fabric. But I find that as a textile artist, I really made a lot of my own fabric at first. So I would, or I would use painterly fabrics or dyed looking fabrics and things like that. And then as I started to learn the traditional quilting techniques, I really wanted to up my skills as a textile artist. So I dove into traditional classes and workshops and I started making those and learning those. And I tried to apply the techniques I was learning to art quilting, which was really good because I just, it just upped my game. And then, when I felt like my skills were, you know, at a really good level from taking the classes, then I dove into the judging journey. If I didn't know what a cathedral window was, I would dive in and make one so that one day when I was judging a show, I would know what it was, I'd know how hard it was and how it was constructed, and I'd be able to judge it. So, but my quilting style over time has always been textile art. I've tried all the techniques like I said over time and I've always gravitated towards abstract waves of color and those kind of things but I'm finding a lot of joy now in the modern quilting it kind of takes me away from quilting on a theme and um, I just find that it's constantly evolving when I see something I absolutely love I give it a try. So I want to talk a little bit about your careers because you've had some incredible careers. You had two careers in your life before you really embraced quilting. So let's talk about your transition from one career to another and when you started to really have the time to be a quilter.
1: I did 22 years total in the armed forces and that's both all Army, Navy and Air Force. I did them all Wow. on the East Coast, West Coast, points in between. After I got out of the military, I was fortunate. I got a job with the federal government here in Ottawa and that came, I decided for my mental health that it needed to come to an end uh, a few years before our plan, but I knew I, I, it needed to be done. Yeah. So I made the decision that 2016 was going to be my last year. And in, but in 2015, I was asked to do a class. I'd done classes before, but somebody had seen something I'd taken out of the class in Houston and said, can you teach us? And I said, if I can get the permissions, yes. And I did. And Anyway, that was early in 2015. And then later that year, I get an email saying, Paul, would you teach us that class? And for whatever reason, from that point on, it exploded. It really exploded. Like I said, my career was coming to an end. Not a negative. It was was time. But then same thing as that. Brakes coming for one, the gas pedals go on to the other. So I was doing trunk shows about one a year. And then again it's like all of a sudden four, five, six, eight trunk shows a year. So Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: It was it was a smooth, it was a nice transition. I'm happy it happened the way it did.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, and it's nice to have that purpose when you're transitioning from one career into quilting. You have that purpose where, you know what, people out there need what I have to offer and they're asking for it. So it feels really good, right? When
1: I was working in government and for those stressful moments, I actually also had a fifth wheel trailer parked about an hour from here. And it was not uncommon for me to be seen at night in the trailer sewing away and during the daytime on the deck sewing away. And a friend of mine came to me, and says, if you're so stressed at work, how can you sew so meticulously? Uh? And he just didn't get it. He just didn't get it. And a few months later, because of something happened in his life, it was Paul, um, I now understand. It took you away from whatever. Yeah. So even in yourself, when you were working as a firefighter, I know your job must have been at some point excessively stressful. And some other times, yes, you could sit and relax, was quilting. An escape for you like it was for me
0: yes it was such an escape for me and I I didn't really realize it all the way along but you know you do have a little downtime when you're in the fire station if all your chores are done and all your drill is done I was sometimes up in the dorm stitching away on a binding and you know the guys downstairs would be like oh she's knitting again or whatever she's doing and I really don't know what she's doing but once I got through the first five years and I went into public education, I thought the stress would be a lot less because now I'm preventing all the tragedy I saw. I mean, looking back at my career overall, I learned so much. and It was such a great 15 years, but there were small things day to day that just ate away that that really caused a lot of stress for me. I went straight downstairs to quilt and that was my escape. But you sort of learn when you're going to quilt as an escape from your job or as a stress relief, there's a point where you realize you're numbing the pain, right? So you're quilting to numb the pain. And when you numb something, whether you're quilting or whether you're drinking alcohol or whether you're scrolling on social media, if you're numbing you're numbing everything. You don't have a choice to just numb the pain. You're numbing all the good things in life as well. So I realized one day that I was numbing the pain of the job, but I was also, you know, getting distant from my family and I was like numbing everything. And I have to get out of this career and I have to move on and do something that's better for my family. So
1: glad you thought of yourself there.
0: Yeah. I kind of realized, you know what, this job isn't everything. I need to move on and do something that's better for my my body and my family and my life, right? So so let me ask the question about where are you living now and who are your quilty people that you surround yourself with?
1: Yeah, well, I'm still living in Ottawa after retirement. Is I was going to move back home in Moncton, New Brunswick. Yeah. Uh, but because of whatever, I decided uh, to stay in Ottawa for a few more years. I'm here for a while. Now, who are my quilting people? Yeah. Ooh, I have so many. I have so many. Oh, I belong to a couple of men's group, and I think we support each other a lot yeah. there. Not that I don't get support from my lady quilter friends. I do. But every once in a while, we just we need a bit of that testosterone male quilter thing. Yeah. But uh, I know I have tons of people that are supportive. That will I just have to call and they'll help. They'll do. Or I can call them and say, do you need a hand? So, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I have to say that I'm really blessed to be a part of a quilting group that you belong to as well, and that's your Bernina people.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great little group. Yeah, that's a great little group. Yeah.
0: And you live so close. I'm jealous. Like you can go visit them, and you could teach in the Bernina headquarters. Um, I've been there just a couple times, but um, it's always so much fun, no matter what's happening at Bernina headquarters.
1: For you, I think it's great. For me, I think it's great. But for me, just to drop in, say hi, I'm here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's so much fun.
1: Especially on okay. Sundays. They're not there on Sundays when I drive by and I stop for a selfie. They're, they're, they're not there.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you do a retreat that really kind of sings to your soul with men only, right?
1: Yes, I do. Uh, before COVID, I would actually organize three retreats a year. Uh, one here in Canada for, for men quilters. And people would fly up from Edmonton, St. John's, and many points in between. And I also organize, and this has been going on since 2008, a men's retreat in the Northeast US. Right now we're meeting in Vermont. There's anything from 12 to 15, 18 of us that go from across the US. There's one, two, three of us from Canada that attend for four or five days. And yeah, we just sit and sew and enjoy each other's company. It's fun. When you sew, you prefer being alone with a small group or a large group? Or are you like me? If I'm at a retreat, I have to do work on a quilt that is easy to piece because there's too many distractions. I want to go for a nap. we are got to go for lunch. Yeah. Compared to home, I can concentrate on more complex things. Yeah. So, so.
0: Oh, yeah. I would say it's kind of the same for me. So when I'm at home, I could be in my studio for days on end just stitching. And so a lot of people think I'm this extrovert but – I think the truth is, I really love the quilt shows, speaking, teaching, judging, the whole thing. But I think I really am an introvert because when the pandemic hit, I had so much joy being stuck in my studio. Oh. And I had no problem with it. I wasn't feeling like I was missing the outside world. when I'm at a big event, all I want to do at the end of the day is go and have a nice warm bath in my hotel room. Um, when it comes to a retreat, I actually really love retreats because it's camaraderie and I focus on projects that are not for the quilty business. I focus on projects that are for me or a family member or Quilts of Valor or something, something I've been really wanting to do for myself for a really long time. And when it comes to, like you mentioned that you like to do something that's easy and it's just like piecing, I love to have a variety. So I will bring something very easy. I'll bring something very hard. I'll bring something. I'll bring a few different things that are almost finished so I feel like I've got a lot of wins at the retreat I'll have like five things for show and tell and people will be like oh look at her going <laughs> but I love to finish things I've been wanting to finish forever but yeah I always have that really easy project for those times a day when you're just kind of like okay I've been sewing forever and I need just something mindless so yeah Let's talk a little bit about design because you are a wonderful designer. You you have a few patterns under your belt that are on your website, but you also design for magazines and everything like that. So we're going to talk about your patterns after the break. But when you see something in the world that sparks an idea, how do you capture that? Are you a sketchy McSketcherson, like pencil to paper, or do you design all digitally?
1: Oh, I've gone with the times. (laughs) I I remember one of my quilts, the one called Frog in a Blender. It was inspired by a child's backpack walking home from school. And I got home and yes, pen to paper, graph paper, colored crayons, and I started that process. I still like that process, and I have graph paper for years to come. I'm not using it as much as I should or I want to, because why? I've gone electronic. I was just away on vacation in Mexico, and I took a few, I take a lot of photos, uh, but there's a couple of them that I'm going to look more closer into to see how can I convert them into a quilt. Maybe not a pattern, but at least a quilt. But yeah. I still have drawers full of markers and crayons, and I have graph paper, and I have my electronic devices that, oh yeah, I'm one way or the other. I actually, for the longest time, would actually design also using Excel. Excel. Oh, really? Are you electronic or paper?
0: I, you know, I am a pencil to paper gal. And even like I have a big jelly roll bash coming up in the fall this year that I'm involved in. I'm one of the designers, Um, but I am... Jotting it all out on paper. I'm making the quilt, quilting the quilt. I'm doing everything, but I hand over my design, my notes. I write the whole thing. I'm handing it to someone else to do the digital part. (laughs) It's just not my favorite part of things. I would rather just do the design work and come up with the idea and then hand it over. And it's always so much more beautiful when someone who loves to do that part for a living does it for me. So I'm still Sketchy McSketcherson for sure and it's always a lot of fun to take your sketch that has different values in it and then add all the fabrics to it. I have a lot of fun with that. And I have a friend who does that in EQ, she'll put all the fabrics in for it's a lot of fun to do that kind of thing, but yeah, it's such a great program. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Paul, was there kind of a defining moment when you realized, okay, there's all kinds of crafts out there, but quilting is my thing? Uh
1: I, I can't say there was a defining moment. The only moment that I can recall is I remember before quilting, I would do some woodworking. And if it was a long project, I would get bored with it. And it was not just in in woodworking. There was a few other things that I got involved with. So, you know, when I started quilting, it wouldn't take that long. Mind you, you'd look at my workmanship back then. And it's like, well, I know why it didn't take long. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah. There's uh, anyway. Um, so I'm surprised that I kept up with it 30 years later because, as you know, some quilts will take many days and weeks to create.
0: Yeah, so absolutely.
1: To say it was a moment where no, it just progressed and progressed and kept on going and going and going. I think the one thing realization that came was back in 2001. I did a quilting burnout. Uh-huh. I could not go in my studio. I did not want to look at the sewing machine. Did not want to look at fabrics. Even to go into the studio to iron my Air Force shirts was painful. I just did a burnout because I was basically going to work all full time, and I get home and I'd sew, go to bed, get up, go to work, come home, sew, go to bed. I was doing too much of it. So I, after that, I got over it after six, seven, eight months. Is then I took the time and quilt and relax.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: But, so for me, that was one realization about quilting. Yes, quilting is fun quilting is great. Yeah. But you know, quilting does not have to be your life.
0: Yeah. So what's your jam in quilting? Like what do you love to bring to the world most?
1: Oh, what's my jam? Inspiration. That's easy. That's an easy answer. Fun, easy answer. I think one thing I love to bring to quilting is actually teaching. And I remember just one lady, I was doing a class, it was a 3D cube class, my 3D cube. And she comes and says, I shouldn't be in this class. I should not be in this class. And I said, don't worry about it. And at the end of the day, she came to me and said, is that all there is to it? Is yeah. I, I like to put the students at ease. I'm not a teacher that will hold out on some tips and tricks, so you have to invite me back to get the other half. Yeah. I give everything I can as quickly as I can to make it enjoyable for, for you or who, whomever. And at the end of the day... When I hear that comment, is that all there is, or I got it done? Yeah, for me, I would say that's my that's my happy moment, my jam. That's your jam. Yeah,
0: awesome. And you teach. What, what do you
1: prefer? I know you teach. You do presentations.
0: Yeah, you know.
1: If you could only pick one of those fours, what would be your jam?
0: I think my jam would be speaking. Really. And you know, that's interesting because over the pandemic, that really blossomed. I did so many lectures on Zoom and I really fell in love with it. But what I love the most about speaking is when I'm in a room with hundreds of people and I'm, you know, I'm not looking for the accolades of being on stage, but what I really love. What I really, really love is is kind of commanding the attention of people and giving them little tidbits of joy. And if there's just one little takeaway that they get from something that I say that's worked for me over time, then my job is done, right? And so when I've done my studios lecture, one time I had a gal come up to me afterwards. I was at my table selling my books and patterns and stuff, and a gal came up and she said, Brandy you gave me permission to clear a third of my household contents and I was like what a third of it? she goes yeah she goes I got divorced and there are two rooms in my house that are still full of his junk and you have given me permission to put that out on the lawn or make him come and get it or get it into storage or get rid of it and take my house back again she said I haven't even had a sewing room in my house and I'm alone in my house. So just, you know, little things like that. Someone coming up after a presentation saying that really resonated with me or you touched me or I have the same problem or I'm dealing with the same issue. So those kind of things really make me feel good because I can share my experience, help someone make one tiny change or solve a problem in their life. And that really, that really makes me feel good inside. Is it true? Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about your website because you have a beautiful website and you have a gallery on there. So the website is paullegerequilts.com and Leger is spelled L-E-G-E-R. And so that's the name of your website. So what kind of things will we find on your website? A bit of
1: everything. Basically my calendar, Yeah. Uh, some of my quilts that I've, I've done, the workshops that I'm giving, just a lot of basic information on, on who I am, what's going on, what I've done, where I've been. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, And I love that your gallery has sort of like quilts for all time. And then it has more recent quilts and then it has your workshops that you teach. You know, it has, you can find all the information you need there and it's just the perfect little mix. It also has a nice little about page that tells your story, you know? So that's kind of nice to go look at too. So if you're listening right now and you're interested in seeing that, go check out Paul's website. Okay, so you collaborate with a few wonderful organizations. Let's start with Bernina.
1: Okay, what is it? Two years ago, I I was fortunate that I was approached by Bernina Canada. I remember the morning I was actually had a meeting with uh, Zoom meeting with uh, Adrian, and in the middle of the meeting, and it was something to do nothing with the ambassadorship. At I had issues and would say, "Would I couldn't get something to?" It was just my knowledge. And Milovich says, "Probably to consider being an ambassador." I said, oh, yeah, I would, but I want to finish talking about what we're talking about. She <laughs> could not see is my two feet under the table were just dancing away <laughs> with joy <laughs> because I didn't want to sound or look too eager, yeah. but oh, I was. And it's been a, a wonderful, as you know, it's been a wonderful journey ever, ever since. The other ambassadors, uh, we collaborate in some little ways. But, yeah, I know it's it's fun. We're there to support each other, we'll give advice. Yeah, it's It's a great little group that we're in. Yeah.
0: And I remember we had one monthly meeting or something like that. And I saw a photo that you had recreated from an original iconic Bernina ad. Tell us about that. Tell us about that.
1: Um, I think this was probably a photo of a really nicely built man, bare chested holding on a Bernina 150 model of sorts. (laughs) And it belonged to a, a male quilter that was attending the retreat. So he showed up one day with this, this poster framed. And he he put it up on the bookshelf. And at one point in time, I just get up, pull my shirt off, grab my Bernina 153, and got in front of the pictures kind of trying to have the same pose, like the before and after. I was the before. He was the after. But, yeah, it was. And I've actually, the, the, the poster belonged to Hollis, Hollis Turnbow, a designer of a lot of whole clock quilts yeah and the poster is now in my possession he gave me the poster last oh. year
0: oh how sweet yeah. and that was so funny I remember that day and I, that was the first day I thought okay I gotta get connected with this man because he's hilarious and humble and fun and yeah everything about you just was shining on that day okay so tell us about your connection with better what are you doing with them
1: when uh, I see something that I like in their fabric collection, in this case, in point, was they had a whole line of Bernina-themed fabrics. Yeah. Uh, I said, oh. <laughs> uh, so uh, I wrote them a, a little email saying, this is what I like to do and this is what I need. Would you please consider it? And next thing you know, within a couple of days, I had a box at the door with everything I'd asked for. And yeah. since then, I've made bow ties. I've made pajama bottoms. I've made I got a shirt made. I've gotten shoelaces made, i got a hoodie lace. uh, So yeah, it's a great feeling to arrive where you can uh, write an email and ask. It doesn't mean you're going to get, I've asked before and then they said, sorry, no, which is fine. But uh, in this case, when I wrote and they said, yeah, we can probably do it. And I get the box with everything I had asked for, uh, it was a nice feeling.
0: Yeah, it's an honor to be a Bernina ambassador. I mean, it's the machine we love and use all the time. And it comes along with a lot of joy when you can ask the company for something. I was inspired by you at Quilt Canada when I saw all your clothing and your bow tie. You know, I actually made my own shoelaces, which was difficult, but it, it turned out okay. But yeah, I was lucky enough to be invited to go to Bernina University in the USA. I went with Madeira Threads. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do the same thing. I contacted Benertex and I said, listen, I'm going to this booth. I'm going to be stitching the entire time doing demos. Why not be stitching on Bernina themed fabric? And they sent me everything. And then I created my Bernina jeans where I tore my jeans apart, put them back together with a bunch of Bernina fabric in them and I also made a dress. And so now I have a Bernina dress that I can wear at events, and I had so much fun. So you inspired me to start making Bernina-inspired clothing.
1: We are going to look good on the red carpet.
0: We are. We're going to look so great together. <laughs> okay, so tell me a little bit about H.A. Kid.
1: H.A. Kid, and I'm going to throw in Northcott in here also. This My affiliation with them all started um, when I was asked by Carla of quiltsocial.com Mm -hmm. if i would blog and i didn't know what i was getting myself into i said sure this was again in 2016 like well my my professional career is coming in so and in my case i primarily write for ha kid which they're wholesaler for quilt shops yeah and that was i was told paul just go on the site find the tools you want to quilt the boat send this email and you'll get the box and it worked it worked great yeah what's changed over the years now because it's now been what seven years that i've been doing this um is we now i now have a good enough rapport with what ha kid i can say are there tools that you want me to write about so it's we're now really working in a collaboration and i know for everybody listening you won't be able to see it but i just got my ha kid box
0: oh my gosh it's gigantic it takes up the whole frame
1: <laughs> it, is, it is it's a huge box with a lot of fun stuff but there's about Three, four blogs worth of stuff in the box. So that's the type of rapport now I have with them.
0: Yeah, it's a great relationship. So has there been a tool or a notion or anything that was really fun that they sent you? What were you most excited about that you got in the mail?
1: Oh, I would say o- odif sprays. Oh, okay. Oda, like the makers of 505 that everybody knows. They have so many like 303, 404, 505, 606, or and a few more. There's a couple of them is I have fallen in love with. And that's something that's in the box is a new format, not in a spray can. But, oh, you know, there's been so many tools that I love. Clover has a little, it looks like a crochet hook, a small, 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 smaller than a sewing needle. And so if you're looking at your quilt and it's a white fabric and you see a, a thread behind it, you can actually go in it with this little crochet hook and kind of slowly, takes time, but pull that thread out so you don't have that that dark thread behind. Uh,
0: yeah. oh, that,
1: oh, that was a good one.
0: yeah that's great a lot of people don't know what that's called but it's something that judges notice quite a bit when you have that thread underneath it's shadowing and it's nice to be able to get in there with that tiny tiny tool and pull it out so that if you enter a show or something it's not something that's obvious right okay let's get into northcott what kind of things have you been doing with them
1: as for ha kid when i started doing the quilt social blogs they were sponsors also so if i had to do a quilt or a post I would just write them and say they would say okay please use these fabrics and i had to come up with a, an idea and a pattern to to be able to highlight their fabrics and over the years i became a more involved with the company to the fact that as of three years ago i'm not actually one of their reps so it, it's it's all fun it's all fun being retired or semi-retired this is great
0: yeah One interesting thing that happens with me, I think because I have a podcast, is that sometimes companies or creators will send me something that they want to feature or they want me to talk about. And so I have had these amazing tools like Carolina Moore sends me her latest inventions. I know that in my pile of mail that I have right now, there is a ruler in there that lights up. So I'm really excited about featuring that on my YouTube channel and AccuQuilts um, sends me all kinds of different dyes and things like that. And I teach one of my classes using their AccuQuilt system, um, my hexagons 10 ways. One of the ways that I do my hexagons is with the AccuQuilt stuff. So it's really fun to get that kind of stuff in the mail. And um, sometimes I get stuff I don't even know where this came from. I don't even, I've never even heard of this company. And it, sometimes it shows up and it's kind of a delight. So keep an eye on my YouTube channel because you'll be seeing like, I got to get through this pile of mail that I have over here and so you'll be seeing some of those unboxings featured on the YouTube channel. Okay, now I want to go a little further into some of the writing that you do because not only do you write for quiltsocial.com, but you also write for a needle pulling thread magazine. So, mm-hmm. let's talk about motivation and creative prompts. When you write or design for these magazines, everything has to be original, right? So, how has that affected your quilting path when they give you something like, this is the theme for this magazine?
1: Oh, it was hard, even for Quilt Social, because sometimes you're told, here are the tools. Yeah. I want to make that quilt, and I'll use those tools. Sometimes, like, I get the tools and have no quilt idea. Yeah. Uh, so it it really has taken me outside my box, not just next to it. Like, we're talking next door or down the block. yeah. Um, so because you have to be creative yes like i will google sometimes for ideas you know what am i going to do with circles and oh i like that little aspect oh i like that aspect and next thing you know i get a, a vision in my mind so i'm gonna say it's a problem but it's not a problem it's a good problem to have it pulls you out of the box so much yeah that to go back to making patterns out of a book or magazine yeah it makes it a bit difficult because your mind has opened up so much, so much. But I get inspired by, if I'm told I got to use a fabric line, if I got to use certain tools, the big one is the magazine, a needle pulling thread. Because as you mentioned, every magazine has a theme. Yeah. And everything has to be original. And I've had challenges coming up with an idea. And I remember one, I called it a tree for all seasons. The theme was trees. Yeah. Just like- and I had no idea. And a month past the deadline, I said, I got an email. I say, Paul, are you submitting? I'm here. No, I had no idea. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> and she, But she clicked on the word had. I had yeah. no idea. So she says, you do now? I'm here, do. And she says, am giving you three weeks. <laughs> that's great. And She's so it sweet. Came out, it came out better than, <laughs> yeah. again, I had a vision. I just used scraps. Um, and, yeah, yeah. So for me, that's, it's hard, but. Yeah, when you get a force and think out the box and say, what can I do? It's fantastic.
0: Yeah. It's nice that it forces you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Sure. yeah.
1: So in my case, when I write, uh, my writing is based on a theme or a, a thing. I know you're very much into, I'm going to say, ad lib what you do in your quilting. Yeah. On the same token, is there something that inspires you, put out of your of fabric or a tool, or is it just whatever?
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I generally will dive into my supplies and a lot of the stuff that I do is technique based, trying a new technique or something like that. But when it comes to inspiration, as you know, I write for a needle pulling thread magazine as well. And I'm one of their editors. And that was really funny when you found out I was one of the editors because I'm editing what you write, (laughs) which is I'm sort of like, you know, it's kind of a fun, fun job because I love editing. I have an English degree and it really appeals to me. But when the first initial blogs come in, I'm like the first line of defense. I do the very basic, just grammar. There's usually not very many changes I need to make because the writers are so great, but I'm, I'm a very initial editor and then it goes on to the big editors. So that's a lot of fun. But I have loved seeing all these themes come up because I write some of the articles as well. So when you're thrown an idea like architecture or faces or trees or neutrals or the nautical one was so fun. I I made some postcards for that one and the most recent one was postcards. So that's kind of fun. But yeah, I, I find that really inspires me when someone throws an idea at me, I come up with 10 ideas, right? So that's been a lot of fun. But yeah, like I think one thing that's happened recently is I'm taking a course called City and Guilds. It's from the UK, it's online. It's a diploma in patchwork and quilting. And that course has forced me to change the way I think of designing things. So instead of diving into the supplies or something like that, I've been forced to research my topic and come up with a theme and do all of the head work and the thinking in advance. And I'm not even allowed to make anything and it's kind of killing me. And I'm kind of like, okay, I have to explore a theme in a different way. Instead of creating art and then realizing what I was creating art about. I have to decide what I'm creating art about and really explore the theme and then make the work. So it's turned my practice upside down and I'm having a lot of fun. So that's been an interesting journey for me. Okay, so before we leave this topic of writing and a needle pulling thread magazine in particular, they are providing a 20% discount on all digital back issues of the magazine and PDF pattern downloads. So if you're listening right now, it's A N P T qof 20 so A Needle Pulling Thread, Quilter on Fire 20. I'll say it one more time, A-N-P-T-Q-O-F-20. So you can simply go to thread.com. that's the magazine, and then you use that code A-N-P-T-Q-O-F-20 to get 20% off, and that's a great offer. So I'm really excited that we have that. So you'll also find that in the show notes down below. And uh, yeah, you can check out all the back issues and have some fun with that. Now, Paul, earlier in the podcast, you said that one of the things you love to do is to teach and share the inspiration. So tell us about some of your workshops. What do you love to teach?
1: Oh, I love to teach anything that I'm going to say that could be a challenge for the participant, but is not a challenge. I like for them to come in and say, yes, can I do that? Yes, you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can teach how to do half square triangles, which I do. Yeah. So, but I, I think I preferred teaching something that has a bit more of a challenge to it.
0: So, some of the courses that you teach are square peg, round hole. So that sounds like it has some curved piecing in it.
1: Yeah, circles, and it it was for QuiltSocial.com. As I was given square rulers and a circle cutter, and said, "Make a quilt." Yeah. So I came up, and it was it's very popular for a class. I teach a class that I was instructed by Karen Combs of Tennessee on 3D Illusion, and I got her permission. I, I do use her patterns as a handout. I'm um, coming up with now another one that should be uh, live to teach next month, the Quiltic Crossover. I'm going to be teaching the, the, the needle-pulling thread theme of, of water, my sailboat quilt, Come Sail Away. I'm doing the Alaska Rainbow by... Laundry basket from Alaska. I'm doing their. I'm going to be teaching their quilt. Um, Yeah, there's a whole bunch of little things happening this
0: year. So tell us about what you speak about.
1: The first one is basically just a a typical trunk show, which no trunk shows is typical, because they're all personal, individual. In my case, it's basically my journey. From my first quilt ever that I still own, that yeah. where I got that had beautiful seams that I can actually put my little finger and cut some of those seams, to my most recent piece, and the, some of them is the inspirations that I have, and the other one I have is basically fiber arts from around the world. I've been fortunate. I've traveled a lot. I'm fortunate I have friends that have traveled a lot, and I've managed to acquire pieces from. Australia, India, China, Africa, Europe, and the Americas. So basically it's, what was Paul thinking? What did he get? What's this so special about it? And so it's, it has to do with fiber arts. And I, one thing I did discover because of COVID, I would do it online and the reaction was, it's okay, but in person, oh yeah. Because this is one of the where people that are tactile you can come feel the roughness of the weave rug from Mexico or the softness of the threads from Morocco so yeah
0: yeah those both sound like they would be very fun like the first of all the trunk show everyone wants to see your quilting journey but fiber arts that you've acquired around the world would be so much fun to see all those individual things in person
1: oh it is it is and like it's not just about fiber arts, like I know you can see behind me, but there's three, I do have three rugs that I just brought back from Mexico. But on some of them, it's like, when I went to, on one trip to Mexico, I went to a tequila place where they make tequila, and I yeah. was the only person there. And there was this aguava guava place. And the owner took me to the guava plant. And he, you know those long pointy spines? Yeah. He kind of just, like you do a wine bottle with the the lead thing, he just kind of scored it to remove it, so he scored that long pin. And then he grabbed it and pulled out about thirteen inches of fiber. Oh
0: wow! This
1: is is what the Aztec used to use to sew. Uh This is like all little stories from my little my little adventures in fiber arts.
0: Yeah, that's really cool.
1: And you, I know you do a lot of teaching. You do a lot of presentations. You lead tours because of your your expertise and your knowledge. So, and all this, you need to do a lot of public speaking yourself. What aspects of it do you enjoy?
0: Well, I think I agree with you on that moment of discovery for the student. Like they think they can't do it. They think it's too hard. They're wondering why they even signed up. And then they're like, oh. I can actually do this. So I love that moment as well. And I had one specific incident that was quite fun. I was teaching up in Prince George, BC. And, you know, sometimes the tinier guilds, they, they got to get a few extra people to sign up so they can afford to bring a teacher in. They want to have 16 people instead of 12. And so they brought me up there. And, but, you know, there's a couple people in the class who didn't really want to take it, but they're just helping out the guild. And so I remember having one gal in that class and she was kind of, like, I can't believe we're painting on fabric. I'm not Screen printing is not my thing. And she wasn't having it at all. And I was like, just try, just give it a try. I was giving her some extra attention. And I remember that first pull when she did her first screen print and she lifted up the screen, her misery went away instantly. And she said, oh, I'm pretty good at this. And I was like, yes, let's go with that. (laughs) You know, you're having fun. This could be a really good thing. And so, yeah, I love that moment when You know, you're teaching someone something new that they really just believed they couldn't do. And they're like, wow, I can actually do this. So that's a lot of fun for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want to get into the quilts and talk about some of the quilts that have been most memorable for you. So which quilts in your, you know, journey have really meant a lot?
1: I would say two of them. And the first one goes back to uh, 2008. I'd made a Croucher puzzle quilt for my mother. And about a, not a year later, I get a phone call from mom saying my uncle wanted to use the quilt for a, a big family reunion out east. So it's an, an event that happens every five years called the retrouvailles. I really don't know how to say it in English. But it's basically where all the Acadians, French Acadians, come back home, back to Acadia. Tens of thousands. And all yes. the families come together. Wow. So he wanted to borrow the quilt and mom said, can you, can you? your mom, it's your quilt. You decide. And, and <laughs> After I hung up, my mind started working and working and working. I made phone calls to the archives at University of Moncton, to the Society of Acadians of New Brunswick, to connections in the U.S. for fabric. I had to pay for the fabric. But anyway, I, the mind was just going that by the time everything was said and done, I had done a quilt that's eight and a half feet tall which is typical height, yeah. by 16 feet wide. Whoa. It's a, it's a huge crossword puzzle quilt representing some of the founding families of Acadia, French Acadia. And in my mind was like, although that family might not have married into that family or vice versa, we're still all linked together. So that was the whole thing. So for one, I'm proud of that piece because it now belongs to a museum the Acadian Museum at the University of Moncton. Although it's not hung because it's a very small museum, it's a very large piece. Yeah. It is rolled up, and they have pulled it out for a special exhibit, which I was quite happy to see. Yeah. And then as all this is happening, I had a chat with the magazine Quilt Mania out of France. And about a year or so later, the quilt was featured. For me, that was like, yes. That was a <laughs> crowning moment in my in my career. Yeah. And then in 2016, I was asked by an outdoor quilt show in New York, Ontario, basically Toronto. So she's there, Paul, we'd like to invite you to submit a quilt. So I could do anything I want. It was going to be in the show. So I said, All right. And then I kept on reading, said, Okay, next year, 2017, it is Canada's birthday. Can you do it in white and red? I love red. I love our flag. I love white, but not together. <laughs> I don't like working in here. Oh, God. So that just raised the bar. And then last paragraph is, would you consider donating to, quilt, to Quilts of Valor, an organization that I'm, I keep close to my heart as a veteran myself. So basically, was that to be original, red and white, and something that me as a veteran would be ultra honored to receive. Yeah. Anyway, it was a lot of thinking. And once it got done, it was a good, proud moment because my idea came to mind. It's basically a half maple leaf on one side with a part of the red stripe on the other side with yeah. uh, the background fabric has, has sayings on it like proud uh, Democrat, this land is our land. A whole bunch of things that as a veteran would probably love to see written on a quilt as a thank you. So, so for me, that was, yeah, uh, that's my two, two of my favorite pieces. I'm gonna throw the same question back at you. I had to tell you which my favorite quilt or quilts were What brings you back happy memories or proud moments?
0: Uh, You know, I have so many. You know, the very first quilt was really inspiring because it was so well received by the great grandmother that I made it for. You know, my friend asked me to make that first quilt I talked about earlier in the podcast today. Um, But, you know, one of the quilts that brought me a ton of joy is a quilt that I made for my father in 2021. And the reason that one brought me so much joy is I had made a quilt for my husband and my son, and tons of quilts for my son. And I'd made one for my mom and, and a lot of the different people in my life, but I had never made one for my dad. And I did this 2021 scrap challenge and I had over a hundred quilters participate and I sent them each an envelope of scraps that they had to use and they had to combine it with some, two different fabrics from their stash or whatever they bought. And I challenged myself to do it as well. So when I opened my envelope of scraps, I had no idea what it was going to be. And I'm looking at all these fabrics and I was very surprised to see all the browns in it. Um, it just turned out to be a quilt that just seemed like it would fit for my dad. But I cut the scraps into two and a half inch squares and and just pieced it all together in this wonderful design. And when I was making the quilt, the joy came from Every little scrap piece of fabric reminded me of a project I'd done in the past. So I went on this journey of my 30 year quilting career, just making this quilt for my father. It was kind of just a a rich colored quilt that just seemed like my dad. So I ended up giving it to him for Father's Day that year, and he made me a little video about it as well when he received it because he's far away he's in manitoba and i'm in bc so that has been one of my favorite quilts to make to this day because it was just a flood of memories the entire time i made it
1: nice nice
0: okay so in your quilting world what brings you joy
1: oh good lord um what brings me joy seeing the project completed Seeing my vision completed. I think more so my vision. Uh, The square peg round hole, when I was I I had the vision, and at that time I didn't even do anything on paper. It was all in my mind. And as I'm finishing it up at 2.30 in the morning, I'm disappointed in my quilt. Hmm. Because my vision wasn't there. My vision wasn't there. So basically I finished the last seam, threw it on the floor, went to bed. The next day I had to bring it to the long armor, and It was until it was hung at her house, I saw my vision. And what had happened is because you work in front of your machines, you're basically in a, in a two by two square.
0: Yeah.
1: And you don't take time to, to back up and and look at, and yes, I had a design wall. I didn't use it. I was just sewing and sewing, sewing. So for me, it's like seeing my vision come to light, the tree quilt, my come sail away quilt, my, yeah. It's like having an idea in my mind. Not even doing it on EQ8, not even doing it on graph paper, just doing it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and changing if you need to. You know, Sometimes you need to make swaps and see it come together. That, I think we'd say that what brings me joy. Yeah, that's great. And being interviewed by you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. So right now we're going to take a quick commercial. And then when we come back, we're going to talk all about Paul's studio space, his patterns, what community means to him, and some big news about where he's traveling in 2024. We'll be right back. I'm going back to London. My annual trip to the Festival of Quilts Birmingham is so much fun. Grab a friend and book your summer holiday with me. And even if you are a lone traveler, I know this itinerary inside out so you can relax and enjoy while every moment is planned with the quilter in mind. This is such a wonderful sightseeing holiday to England and Wales, ending with the Festival of Quilts. And I'd love to have you join me July 23rd to August 3rd. Book your spot today by calling Judy at Opulent Quilt Journeys, one 235 3767 The Square One Textile Art Workshop is now available. You can sign up anytime. You'll learn six fiber art techniques and create an art quilt start to finish. It's an on-demand course to take on your own time anytime, and you'll have it forever in your student portal. And if you've bought this course before, now's the time to go back and check it out again because I've changed all of the original replays to brand new videos. You're going to love it, and you get it forever with your original purchase. At only $37, it's a great deal. So go to quilteronfire.com to sign up for the Square One Textile Art Workshop today. And we are back with Paul Leger. Paul, can you tell us about your studio space? Where do you create?
1: One of my spare bedrooms upstairs is my studio, a little nine by eleven space. But I've also invaded the other spare bedroom in the dining room, and in the kitchen table behind me. Uh, <laughs> I have multiple spaces to fund of living alone. Uh, yeah. I don't have to. I can do what I want. My space is an organized chaos, uh, like most quilters, many quilters. It's yeah, it's stuff all over. I don't put things away quickly enough after I finish a project. So it's like always looking for something, always looking for something. But I must say, though, if I am working on a project and I do have scraps, and when I say scraps, I mean little pieces, not half yeah. yards, quarter yards, little pieces. Yeah. I cut them up right away into squares of different sizes, and I put them away right away. That oh. is one thing that I'm, I'm disciplined for.
0: It's really nice, though, that you you can allow your passion to spill throughout your house and not to worry about it too much. It's kind of a nice luxury to have. Um, if my studio spilled outside my studio, I'd hear about it pretty quick. <laughs> because I don't want my whole family to be affected by it. So tell me, Paul, what is your favorite time of day?
1: I love to be lazy in the morning. If I wake up at 7, I'll probably be laying in bed for at least an hour because you know how it is, snuggle in a warm bed. Yeah. Creative-wise... I'm still like if I was back at work full time, I find I'm doing much more creative in my sewing after normal working hours, like late Uh afternoon into the evening than I am during the day. Uh, During the days, I feel, uh, I know I can be, but I'm a bit lazy. Yeah. But so I'll do the email thing and I'll need another coffee thing. But yeah, if... I'm more comfortable going in the late afternoon, like I said, or early evening. and So unless if I can get up in the morning, prepare my coffee, and I go right to the studio right away, I can be there all day. Yeah. But otherwise, like, all right, late afternoon, time to go.
0: So what is something that you do really well for your own self-care?
1: Because of the burnout I had 20 years ago, 22 years ago, I give myself permission. In this case, what I mean is, I have a deadline for Quilt Social. It's due tomorrow. I got to work through the night to get it done. I got get a phone call from Brandy saying, Paul, let's go for coffee. I'll say yes. <laughs> and I'll pro- because I have that break, I'm probably going to be more productive once, once I come back.
0: Yeah. And
1: as you know, I just got back from a nice long vacation in Mexico. I did <laughs> one sewing project, just one. I did write or start doing a bit of writing and doing stuff on EQ8. But it was a very small portion. I, you know, it's like I had to give myself permission to take two months basically off to just to regenerate. And so, yeah, I give myself permission. Uh, Do you give yourself permission?
0: You know, I think I, when it comes to travel, for instance, I often bring too much. Like I'll bring three magazines and I'll bring two little hand stitching things. And when I come home, I find, okay, I did a bit of stitching, but I only looked at one of those magazines. Why am I bringing so many books and magazines? And I need to give myself permission to just relax on a holiday and sit on the beach if I need to, or go on the hike and not worry about having things I have to accomplish on the holiday, right? Yeah. Um, but when I, one thing that I do give myself permission, well, it's almost like forgiving myself. So I have a morning and evening routine that really works well for me. And when I follow my morning routine, which is just a little hour routine of a little bit of self-care and workout and eat well, and then I follow my evening routine, which is just a little bit of a do a chore and do some meditation and some gratefulness and things like that before I go to bed, no cell phone before I go to bed for an hour. When I do those well, I really find that my world just moves along smoothly. But the thing that I was going to mention about forgiveness was if I go a few days in a row without doing my routines or I go to bed too late or I want to sleep in, I just forgive myself and move on. Instead of, oh, I blew it. I'm at this week's shot. I might as well just sleep in the whole week. Instead of doing that, I just forgive myself and then I start again the next day. And it it really works for me to forgive myself and start again because let's say I choose a month and I want to eat eat a healthy breakfast for a whole month. Let's just make up an example out of thin air. So if I eat a healthy breakfast for three or four days in a row and then I blow it and I run to Tim Hortons and I eat something that's not so great for me. I love Tim Hortons. Instead of just, oh, I blew it and then just the rest of the week is toast, I'll just forgive myself, move on, have a healthy breakfast the next day. And by the end of the month, I will have maybe had 20 or 25 days of a good healthy breakfast. And it's better to have 20 or 25 days of goodness than a few days of goodness at the beginning. And then I blew it and you give up, right? So um, I find forgiveness is a really good way for me to get things done in a way that I want to do them for self-care. Anyway, (laughs) that That was a really long drawn out answer. No, but it's a good one. It's a good one. And again,
1: we don't give ourselves permission to do things sometimes. And we feel bad because I I just, I should not have gone for that coffee. No, it's forgive yourself and do it. Yes.
0: Yeah. And another thing about, giving yourself permission is I find it very hard to do my own personal art practice that's the one thing that always slips off the end of my task list and when I give myself permission to do that early in the morning before I even start my work day that's when I end up getting it done and just 15 minutes of stitching at my machine in the morning is makes me feel so good for the whole day and if I leave it till nine o'clock at night I'm never going to come back down from after dinner sitting on the couch I'm never going to come back down to my studio and get it done so you know give myself permission to do that first for me that's the way that it really works for me okay so I want to dive into community because community is huge for you quilts of valor the whole thing so tell me why community means so much
1: community should mean a lot to to everybody and I think in the the quilting world and we've seen it time and time again uh, quilt for Ukraine quilts for the survivors in my case quilts of valor here in Canada it's important because we give so much and it with all the negativity happening right now in the world, it's fun to change the perspective saying there's still a lot of good. Yeah. The fact that you're making a quilt for a newborn or the fact that it's for that World War II veteran to recognize him for his service, that's my community. It's like I find I'm quite generous in, in, in the things that I do and give to Quilts of valor, especially, but I've, I've given to other organizations also. And as long as we keep on doing it, I think it's going to bring us joy more than we realize because we don't see the result that it gives at the other end. We, we give a quilt and it's gone, but it brings a lot of joy to, to people.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. I always tell this story live in my lecture about Quilts of Valor because if, if you're listening right now and you've never made a quilt for Quilts of Valor, Quilts for Survivors, or any charity – You get so much more joy back than you ever imagined. And for a year or two, I helped out Quilts of Valour Canada with marketing and things like that. I made a few posters for them and I helped them out. And so I got the privilege of listening into their phone calls. Back then they did their meetings by phone call. And so I was just a listener. But I remember the secretary at the time would pull a few letters and read them to the committee. And I'll never, ever forget this one card. She said, this is a tiny little card. All it says is, this quilt saves my life every day. And I remember being on that phone call thinking, thank goodness, it just made them feel good whenever they looked at it, whenever they wrapped themselves in it. And they knew it was from a total stranger who didn't even know them. And they, out of the goodness of their heart, they just made something. So,
1: a lot of people don't realize about Quilts of Valor and the recipients, you need to be injured, as you know. A lot of them feel abandoned, unfortunately, by their, the government, by the country. Mm-hmm. And they want nothing to do with Canada as a government, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But when they get the quilt and they say that the government was not associated with this, yeah, it's done by the people that are thanking them.
0: Yeah, it's so meaningful. And you do an event every year for Quilts of Valor Canada. Do, so it's a yearly National Sew so Day in February. So that's coming yeah. up right away.
1: Yeah. First Friday of every February. We start around uh, noon Eastern, and it goes until about 3, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. And we basically, we just chat. We've breakout rooms. We actually have speakers and presenters. And in the past, uh, i the master of ceremony, if you want to call it. We've had actually veterans in the past speak about their experience or their experience of getting the quilt and what it's meant to them. There's, I know right now, Robbie in Orleans is organizing a whole group in a church, and they're in there. they're going to have a sew day on the National Sew Day. And they'll have at least one laptop or on watching them all sew as this happens. So it's just... Three hours, three and a half hours of support. People supporting themselves to this great cause.
0: Yeah, that is so great. And so, if people want to get involved in that, do they need to sign up in advance, or do they just need to show up? Where can they go to find out more?
1: They would need to go to Quilts of Valor Canada site, and Valor in this case, because it's Canada, it's V A L O U R. Yeah. uh, uh, Quilts of Valor Canada, and there's a place on that where you can go. You can click and register, and you'll receive a Zoom link. Oh, great. But if it's in the like, same thing in the past, there's going to be some door prizes.
0: Yeah, door prizes, quilting with friends and things like that. So go to quiltsofvalor.ca and you'll see the button right there so you can click and sign up. That's a great event to get involved in.
1: Now, if memory serves me right, Randy, you actually also designed a quilt for Quilts of Valor. Also a maple leaf, if I remember correctly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. I designed a quilt for Quilts of Valor way back when I had my first podcast in 2013, 2014. It was called Canadian Quilt Talk. And I decided to challenge my listeners to make a quilt of valor because I loved the organization so much. And I got a phone call from a friend of mine in Vancouver saying, Oh, I heard your podcast, I can't wait to see what you design. And then I thought, oh my goodness, if I'm challenging all these people, I guess I better make a quilt myself as well. So I threw together this design on paper. I had so much fun with it. I designed this modern sort of contemporary maple leaf and it's quite a large quilt and came out in 2014 and when I handed it in the actual quilt to Quilts of Valor with the whole challenge hundreds of quilts were made in that challenge so I was really proud of the the accomplishments that we made but Quilts of Valor said to me oh can we hang this at a support center in Ontario in Petawawa actually and I was like you want to hang my quilt on the wall? And like, and they said, yes, we'd love to. And I was like, sure. And so I was so honored. And they hung it up. And then I thought, well, I better make another one for a soldier. So I made another one. And when I handed that one in, they said, oh, can we hang this in another support center? And I said, well, well, wait a minute, how many support centers are there? And they said, well, there's about 30 across Canada. So I put it out to my listeners and I said, volunteers come forward we'll give you the pattern and we had 30 quilts made within a couple months and they are now hanging in support centers all over canada so i'm thrilled that that happened i also made it into a pattern which sells alongside your pattern at all the kit quilt shows and uh, yeah i'm just honored to even be associated with quilts of valor because it's such an amazing organization and very happy to have that
1: thank you I, as a veteran i thank you
0: yeah yeah Okay, so I want to dive into some travel coming up, because speaking of quilt shops, Water Girl Quilts has invited you to do something fun. So what are you doing with them?
1: Two back-to-back cruises to Alaska. I you know, it's like something I've always wanted to do. I wanted to do a quilting cruise as a teacher. So I get a phone call from Michelle saying, Paul, do you want to come on the cruise? And I asked for a few details naturally. And I said, yes, of course, I, I want to. So we've been planning and organizing ever since. And I've been designing and rejigging quilt ideas and patterns so it's going to be a, it's going to be a lot of fun we have two full days of workshops and two half days of small workshops so yeah it's going to be a lot of fun
0: oh that'll be so much fun so are you staying on the cruise for two whole trips with different sets of quilters or are they are they a little bit far apart in timeline
1: cruise starts on september 1st 24 we come back to port on september 8th in the morning on the same ship, I leave in the in the afternoon, and I go back up to Alaska, and then come back to Vancouver, and then I'll come home. So basically, yeah, two different groups, two different groups of quilters. Oh yeah.
0: Oh, that is so much fun. And then you're also teaching at Quilt Canada in Edmonton. What are you teaching there?
1: Oh, what am I teaching there? I'm going to teach my square peg round hole. Yeah, I'm going to teach Quilt of Valor pattern that I designed specifically. It's a bit. It's themed on. Again, my half maple leaf, but in this case here, instead of just having a red strips or a piece red strips, it's going to be blocks on, on yeah. the side and the bottom. I'm also teaching my 3D illusion class. I'm teaching a okay. 3D illusion class, yeah.
0: So three full workshops in Edmonton. So that'll be fun. So people can look out for that. And so, and if you are interested in going to Alaska with Paul in September with Water Girl Quilts, you can go to watergirlquiltco.com.
1: Patty Carey is also teaching on that quilt. Wonderful. Yeah. And Michelle herself will also be teaching on that cruise. So,
0: yeah. Okay. So, if you're interested in going to the to Alaska in the fall, there will be Patty Carey, there will be Paul and Michelle Peters from Water Girl Quilt Co. And they'll all be on that cruise, and that'll be a whole lot of fun. You can pick either week, right? You can go the first week or the second week.
1: I, I think the first week might now be sold out. Okay. Once the kids are in school, they're in school. You can come on the cruise.
0: Yeah, <laughs> fun. <laughs> that would be great. Okay, so now it's time for the lightning round robin. It's a series of rapid fire questions, and it's super fun. Are you ready? I'm ready. You're ready, and I have a feeling that I'm not ready. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no,
1: no, no. no. There, there's nothing. Yeah, no, you will be fine. You're fine.
0: That's okay, so I know that we already talked about your favorite tool or notion that you featured in the Quilt Social blog, but what is your favorite tool or notion of all time?
1: I would say of all time, it probably is ODIF 606. It's 606, a basic spray that right. basically turns a piece of fabric into, a as if you would have already put a piece of interfacing on it. It's oh, okay. A, I'd say that's probably my one of my favorites. Okay, my turn. Okay. <laughs> You prefer a walk in the snow or on the beach?
0: Oh, uh, well, I did move across Canada to escape the frozen tundra of Manitoba. So I'd have to say a walk on the beach. <laughs> okay, and what is a skill you'd still love to learn?
1: Anything that I don't know. Anything actually skill-wise, not quilt related, I need to learn more about photoshopping, video editing. Oh, okay. I think I need to 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 progress in my quilting journey yeah. i think we need to, uh, to start learning those skills solids or prints
0: solids or prints oh i do love solids recently because i've really gotten into modern quilting but if i'm in a fabric store i am drawn to the prints that are painterly like washes of hand-dyed looking fabrics pretty artful ones <laughs> Okay. Have you had any weird, funny, or crazy quilting moments?
1: (laughs) I would say yes. Uh, I've had a lot of oopses. We all do. Uh, (laughs) I think one thing that was quite touching in one of my classes is a a lady was persuaded to come to the class. She had lost her husband recently, so they persuaded her to come to the quilt to change her mind. And as the day progressed, it was also discovered that she's suffering from a, there onsets of dementia or, or Alzheimer, But the love in the room to help her out, like, because sometimes I'd say, okay, take two fabrics of contrasting colors and she would use two of the same. And the fact that I would go say, no, no, you need to use. You no, know, nobody lost patience at, at the time. And at, at the end of the day, she had one seam left to do and it wasn't going. And I went to show her how to do it. And she says, would you do it for me? Uh, so it, it was, uh, although I've, I think we've all met Unfortunately, people with dementia or Alzheimer, but this was, I think, my first close encounter. And it's like, you really have to show empathy and yeah. yes. I think that was a, yeah.
0: Yeah, so great.
1: If, it, if we weren't on this podcast right now and you were working in your studio, what music are you listening to?
0: Mm-hmm. I've really been listening to Sirius XM lately, and it's kind of like a mix of 80s, 90s. I like the nostalgia. So I've been listening to an 80s, 90s mix lately. Has there been a mentor who's really influenced you along the way?
1: My first quilt teacher, Joan Winters from Barrie, Ontario. I'm still in touch with her, 29 years later. She's quite proud of me because... Although she didn't want to take me in as a student, I persuaded her. And she taught, what is a seam allowance? And she made us draw templates and she made us do this. And yeah, because of her, I have the base of why I'm here now. Yeah. Oh. Right. Oh, my turn. Uh, batting, eighty twenty wool, poly, or something else?
0: Oh, I love to experiment with them all. But when I'm doing a large quilt or a modern quilt, I'm always using Hobbs 80-20, um when I'm trying to get textures or anything else, I will use wool or or a layer 8020 and wool, especially trapanto, that kind of thing. I will have a lot of fun with loft in quilting, but um yeah, mostly 80-20. Good question. Okay. What are some of your favorite collections of things that you own in your home?
1: Favorite collections. Oh uh quilting-wise, if there's I love to buy a whole collection of blenders like anything from 20 to 30, 40. I'd love to buy because they look great on my shelf for years. Yeah. Other collections in the house. Oh, boy. I would say my art, just art in general. I know you can see it behind me, but on that wall, there's art from Peru, from Poland, from St. Lucia, and other places. So I love arts in in all its forms. So that, and as you saw, there's a couple of pieces behind me. A fiber art. I think, yeah, the arts. All right. Favorite colored thread.
0: Favorite colored thread. Gosh. I often use neutrals, but you know what really sings to me is orange. I don't know why I use orange a lot. I think it's because it's my brand colors, Quilter on Fire. (laughs) I have orange and I have blue, and it's really complementary colors. I use a lot of orange. Right now on my machine, I see a beautiful variegated orange thread. Right now. <laughs> okay. Do you have any furry friends in your studio?
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, other than me, no. But but I do have, a, well, as we all probably all do, a few dust bunnies, but mine, a couple <laughs> of them are armed. Arm, they're armed with pins. <laughs> I can't find my pins. I got to find a dust bunny in there and there. Then they have it. Frozen or on the rocks?
0: Oh. On the rocks for sure. Even when it comes to just having once a week, we have a pizza night and I love to have a Coca-Cola with my pizza. And so I like to have three, four, five ice cubes with my Coca-Cola, but I love having a drink with ice in it that keeps it nice and cold. And I like to drink it before the ice is all melted.
1: I have one more. What's your favorite quilt show you've been to?
0: My favorite quilt show I've ever been to. Oh, that is a hard one.
1: You've been to Houston, you've been to Can- Quilt Canada, you've been to Birmingham, yeah. uh, you've probably been to Quilt Con Yeah, and, and others in between.
0: Yeah, well, so there's two that are pretty close. I love, love um, the Festival of Quilts in Birmingham. And the reason I love that show is because every quilt that's entered in the show makes it into the show. There's no jurying. There is judging, but there's no jurying. So you get to see quilts from all levels of quilters. You get to really dive into the stories behind the quilt. So I love that show. And plus it's a tour and I get to bring people with me and I just have so much fun. I'm doing it for my third year in a row. So if you're interested in that, go to my website, uh, go to Opulent Quilt Journeys and sign up for that. It's coming up July 23rd. But the show that I would have to say that tops it for me is Quilt Con Because... First of all, I'm deeply involved in, I have my podcast lounge in in the Oliso Irons booth and the, the show is amazing. I'm always seeing great new designs that I just could never have imagined myself. But the thing that really, really hits hard for me in that quilt show is the lectures. The lectures at QuiltCon are really forward thinking and they talk about topics that make you rethink What you think. And they're about the story. They're about modern times. They're about issues in the world that we're having right now. You know, they're about people standing up for themselves. There's just such great lectures at that show. They're different than the lectures at any other show. So that's why I would say I love Quilt Gone the most. That's a great question. I've never had that one before. Okay, so Paul, thank you for braving the lightning round, Robin. That was super fun, and it was it was hard to be asked questions right back, but that was a lot of fun. So I've mentioned your website at com, where we can find everything we've talked about. But where's the best place for quilters to connect with you on social media?
1: On I'm on Instagram, Paul Leger Quilts, which is almost primarily all about quilting, Bernina, and so on and so forth. There's a bit of personal, but... It's mainly quilt related, sewing related. And on Facebook, which is just me, Paul Leger. And if you can't, if there's more than one showing up, look for the one where there's somebody sewing sewing in the snow on his deck. That's me. And on Facebook, it's a mixture of quilting, my social life, adventures, the fact that I'm sitting on the beach in Mexico, or the fact that I'm on the bus on the way to some little village somewhere else. So it's Paul for who he is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I loved seeing all your posts on your way to Mexico. And I was so jealous, but it was a lot of fun to see what you did along the way. That's great. Okay, so now as we wrap up, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? I
1: think what I want quilters and sewists to take the most is when we talked, we spoke a lot about workshops and courses. I learned many years ago, I was fortunate I took some classes like from Carol Breyer Fowler, Philippa Naylor from England, Gail Garber from Mexico. And it was only a couple of years later that I I saw something, I'm there, I can do it. And I knew I could do it because of those three workshops. And for me, that was a huge awakening that now I might no longer take a workshop because I want to learn how to do that project. I kind of look at it saying, what am I going to learn? What skills? It comes back to what you're saying, like, try it at all. So, I like, I know I did one workshop. I had zero interest in the workshop. But there was one skill I wanted to get, and it was through that, that workshop. So, yes, take a workshop because you want to. But also, if you're not sure, consider what are you going to learn. Yeah. What are you going to That's take cool. home that you might use next week, next year, or maybe five years down the road?
0: Yeah, that is such great advice. Go beyond the project, right? Good, I love
1: it. Last question, right back at you.
0: Okay, so the question is, what do I want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? And I really love what you said at the end there. So I'm going to expand on that a little bit by just saying, you know, I bump into so many quilters in workshops that are kind of floundering. You know, they feel like they're not that creative or they're buying kits and they're not brave to choose their fabric and things like that so um what i would say is really explore and try to figure out what do you love to do the most where do you have the most joy where do you what do you enjoy the most when you're quilting and explore that further so take what you love find someone who is a mentor or teacher who does that take those kind of courses and you'll be able to eventually come full circle like you will find what you love you'll do all the work and take all the courses. And then you'll be in a position where you can come back and share your expertise with other quilters. And the whole journey, you'll be doing what you love. So I I think what Paul said was just a really great way to end the podcast. And I just wanted to expand on that. Okay, so Paul, it has been such a pleasure to have you on this show. It's like having a conversation with a warm hearted friend. Thank you so much for sharing your story.
1: Oh, Thanks for having me. Uh, although we're miles and miles apart, uh, we get along so well together. Uh, this was fun. It was educational because I got to know you also. Yeah. And you asked some hard questions, but they were good questions.
0: Oh, good. And you asked some hard questions too. Some of those questions I've never been asked before. So thank you for being here. So that was my show with Paul Leger. It has been such a pleasure to spend time with him in person at Bernina events and at quilt shows, and we've especially had fun in the Quilts of Valor booth. The thing that delights me the most is his sense of humor. You can tell by the fact that he interviewed me right back that he is humble and he is always on the lookout for a happy moment, and then he pounces. It's just a joy to spend time with him, and I can't wait to see him again in person. I want to give him a warm thank you for serving our country early in his career. And today, I loved sharing his story with you quilter on fire is now on youtube i started up all new content at the end of 2023 and i've been having so much fun from tutorials to unboxings and amazing interviews with quilters and artists at big shows like international quilt festival in houston and QuiltCon. you'll find all kinds of quilty goodness if you love this podcast please go subscribe to quilter on fire on youtube today And join me in Japan or England this year on one of my textile tours. These trips are so fun, packed with adventure, in fact, and I'd love to have you join me. The Japan tour goes from Tokyo to Kyoto on May 19th, and it has four hands-on textile workshops you will love. And the UK tour tours through England and Wales, ending at the Festival of Quilts Birmingham. This great big show is worth the overseas flight, and that tour kicks off on July 23rd. To find out more about either trip, call Judy at Opulent Quilt Journeys at one 235 3767 to book your trip today. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.